Good morning, everyone. As kids make their way, some of our kids uh, that way to the great children's area, I just want to encourage you uh, to be a part. Uh, there's a great renovated children's area down the hall, and we've got some folks. Uh, Laura McAlpin years ago laid the foundation along with Emily Hood, and now uh, Cynthia Decker and Sarah Ezell are down there with a great team of volunteers, and we need more of you to, uh, to love on our kids and all. There's a group of folks who really serve down there and miss a lot of worship, and we, we, as we increase the, uh, the number of people down there, some of you who could serve with us, that'll help folks worship and just keep morale high. So I just want to challenge you uh, to check us out this week, uh, make a call to the church or visit online or at the Connection Kiosk after the service. And say, hey, I'd love to explore helping out in our children's area, loving on those kids. Would y'all do that, some of you? That'd be really good for us as a church family, and I appreciate that. And uh, nobody in here wants a cooler room than me. I've been praying, uh, not for the sermon, just for the air to flow in here. And uh, be, be patient with us. Uh, the, the weather itself outside is going to bring coolness this week, and I believe next weekend. But we're working on this system, so we'll have cool air in here. That's important. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, air condition. Uh, that's what we believe here. We just got to get that working. So bear with us uh, today. I've prepared, I think, a word for you this morning, and you do your part, staying engaged, even if it's a, a little warm. It's okay if you fan yourself a little bit. It, it's 10 degrees hotter on the stage and 5 degrees hotter in the balcony, I'm just saying. So you can fan yourself. Just don't frustratingly fan yourself, okay? Um, Love you guys and appreciate you. Uh, excited about this morning. We're continuing in our series called Rebuilding a Life, and we're asking uh, the question, is something in disrepair? Is something down? Are you looking at some rubble? Does something uh, need to be rebuilt? Humanity, uh, the experience of life itself would say yes, that all of us uh, have something. And maybe um, during this season, you have that one thing. It's easy for you to say this. This is what needs to be rebuilt. We've been looking at a man uh, long ago who cried. He cried about a wall. And one of the things I'm saying is simple. I don't even want to look past that. It's good to be broken. It's good to feel things. If you're going to be a leader, and I've said this, man, I, I pray for our churches. I pray for the church. I pray for our church that we would have leaders who have broken hearts, who would feel deeply. And I know everybody's not soft and sensitive uh, like I am. Uh, we have different personalities. God wires that stuff. He hardwires it into your, into your DNA. But uh, we need to feel. We need to say, God, what breaks your heart? Let that break mine. And we said that unless you have a big buoyant vision, a big problem in life that's worth your energies and your efforts and your gift set and your heart, that life isn't worth it. That God wants to give you that. He wants to break your heart. We, we mentioned last week a, a writer named Jim Collins. He wrote some business books. One of the great books he wrote, some of you know, is a, a book called Good to Great. And he says that there are two qualities that help people, men and women who are impactful leaders over the long haul. There's a couple of qualities that they have in common. Those well-respected, high-impact, long-term leaders. I don't know if you remember what uh, I said that he said, but uh, he said there, there's humility there. Just a sense that my life is not about me. It's not about my stuff. It's about others. I put other people first. There's humility. And secondly, there's fierce resolve. I even asked you the question last week as we looked at Nehemiah and rebuilding a life. Do you uh, have a fierce resolve or are you easily discouraged? Now, we don't want this to be a show. We don't want this to be happy, happy pep rally all the time. I want you to be real today because to be honest with you, I have been in my life deeply discouraged and too easily discouraged. 
I've let little things trip me up and sidetrack me. And I found myself wanting to give up. Where are you on that scale? On one hand, there's fierce resolve, Popeye the sailor man. On the other hand, it's Charlie Brown, easily discouraged, wanting to give up. Where do you fit on that? There's a great quote by this writer, Jim Collins. He says this, that the path out of darkness, it begins with those uh, exasperatingly uh, persistent individuals uh, who are constitutionally incapable of capitulation. Isn't that a great quote? Doesn't that make you want to go find out what capitulation is all about? It's going to give you a newfound appreciation for capitulation. You're going to call someone out today because they capitulated, right? I'm giving you the tools and training you need, okay? Call it out. That's capitulation, right? The path out of darkness, the way to rebuild something. There's a few people. Can I say this? When God does a work, he raises up a woman or a man, and he says, you. And as we'll see in a minute, he's going to involve others. And he starts with a few people around them. But God, give us these people, painstaking or exasperatingly persistent individuals who are constitutionally incapable of capitulation. They stay at it. Background, we'll do it quick. A little recap because it's necessary each and every week for those who not, who've not been able to be a part, a good refresher for those who have. Nehemiah uh, lived about 450 B.C. He lived in a land where he heard some news. He lived, uh, the, the, the history at the time or what was happening, the Persians had conquered the Assyrians, the Assyrians had conquered the Babylonians, the Persians were in rule. There were remnants of Babylon, but the Persians were ruling, and the king of Persia was Artaxerxes. Daniel Wagner and I, some of the staff guys were on a trip to Austin, Texas this week. He saw me reading Nehemiah on my flight home last night, and he looked over my shoulder. He's reading Nehemiah himself. He said, man, Robert, I'm going to be laughing at you for these next few weeks as you mention all these names in Nehemiah. I'm trying to help you, okay? There's a lot of names. We're, we're, I'm just trying to give you what's important for you to get the thematic understanding of this great book, uh, really a journal um, from Nehemiah from so long ago. But the king is Artaxerxes and Nehemiah is what? Say it, church. Nehemiah is his cupbearer. Thank you. He's the cupbearer. And if you study history, you'll learn that a cupbearer cup in many ways had a prestigious position. He was in the lap of luxury for Nehemiah. He was in Susa, a region where the king, the most powerful man in the world, Artaxerxes at the time, where he reigned and he was a, a high official, uh, Nehemiah was, just because he was a close confidant. He became a friend. He was a trustworthy individual. He would taste the wine and the choice foods to make sure that the king was not poisoned. But in that role, he had a proximity to this king and a friendship. Now, he was, at the end of the day, a, a slave. He didn't have rights and all that himself. It was all granted, bestowed, and remained in uh, relation to the king and his wishes. Nehemiah heard news. What was the news that we've learned that he heard? 800 miles away, he heard the news that Jerusalem was in ruins, that the walls were down, that the gates had burned. What, what does that mean? In that day, it means anarchy. It means violence. It means that people lost their dignity. dignity. Could you imagine, let's say that you live somewhere uh, 800 miles from here, and you heard about your people, you heard something really bad had happened, but your people were in a tough part of town, and there was no security. There were no walls. There was nothing to protect them. And at any time they were, were, were to be victimized, it would happen. Jerusalem at the time was a breeding ground, a stomping ground for indignities and violence. It was a tough, tough time. And this news, it breaks his heart. 
Nehemiah's posture is what? Weeping, praying, fasting, mourning. He gets on his knees and he gives God time to do a work in his life. In all likelihood, Nehemiah was an activist. Any of you activists, you just like to move. Not a lot of thought to what you do. You just move. Very impulsive. He who hesitates is lost. That's what an activist thinks. Some folks, they're not activists. Uh, They're contemplatives. They take their time. There's no impulsivity to them at all. I mean, they just think and think and think and think and think, right? But Nehemiah, though probably an activist, all, all indicates that he is. But in this moment, he took time. He didn't just rush ahead. In fact, it was weeks and weeks that he let this heart of his break and get aligned with God. And what happened after the broken heart? He becomes very bold. We saw last week in chapter two that Nehemiah, this man with the broken heart, becomes a bold asker. He goes to his king and he displayed sadness. King Artaxerxes noticed that his cupbearer was sad. You were not supposed to be sad around the king. When the king asked you how you were doing, you were to say, long live the king. It's not about me. It's all about you. But the king noticed you are sad and it's not because you're sick. There's something deeper there. There's a heart sickness. And Nehemiah at great, I mean, he calculated this and at great risk to his career, he tells the king, in fact, I am sad. And you see, it was a bad career move or could have been a bad career move. It was a risky career move and a risky life move for him to demonstrate sadness, to begin to communicate to his king, the leader of the the empire, that it wasn't about him, that something was on his heart and he was going to be moving away. He asked God to break him. He asked God to work in him. And then he asked the king for favor. Send me to Jerusalem. Send me to this land so that I might do work. And it wasn't a small ask. Now, remember what we learned. We put up Ezra 4, chapter 4, verse 21 and 22, and showed you that one of the risky things about Nehemiah's ask of King Artaxerxes is the fact that when he asked him, he was saying to him, you see, they had tried to rebuild the walls before, and King Artaxerxes stopped the rebuilding. He said, no, no, no. So here's Nehemiah saying, you made a bad decision. Reverse this decision and let me lead it. And he asked him for a military escort for the royal credit card, for time off. And listen to this, leaders. If you're you're a leader, an entrepreneur, an innovator, an artist, if God's calling you to be a church leader, a nonprofit leader, Nehemiah, an ordinary man, knew that to go and lead an extraordinary task, it would take time. It would involve danger, and it would require financial resources. Can I say that again? Nehemiah, a very ordinary man, knew that to tackle an extraordinary cause, a cause bigger than himself, that it would take time, involve danger, and require financial resources. Aren't those the things, practically, that stop us? Ever dreamt a dream? Ever thought of something big? Ever had your heart broken, at least for a little bit? And it seemed like it was going to be more than a passing concern that God was going to use you. But then you learned it took time. It involved some danger. And it required financial resources. And Nehemiah, the bold asker, as it says in that chapter, the gracious hand of my God was upon me. He said, give this to me so that I can go. So what I want to do is roll some verses up here and let's walk through this story. It gets really cool, some of these leadership lessons of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10. He's, he's gone there. 
He's got the king's favor. How good is that? God's given you a vision. The king grants you favor. He gives you the resources that you need. And so it's going to be really good. Not so fast. Here's some fun names. But when Sanballat, circle that one, remember that name. He's quite a character. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Here's what I want you to learn. Others wanted him to fail. Have you ever had anybody in life who wants you to fail? Ever had a group of people who want you to fail? I'll share with you a big idea that you and I, everybody, everybody, we're eager for easy, right? Everybody, we're eager for easy. We want things to be easy. When God does something, we said in week one, might have repeated it last week, but oftentimes God will give you a concern before he gives you a solution. We, we, we want to reverse that, right? God, just give me the solution, lay it right here. I'll go do it. Step-by-step instructions, make it easy. And Nehemiah is about to learn it's not going to be easy. Why? Because he has opposition. Can you think of a great work of God that's not going to have opposition? He wants it easy. Hey, Nehemiah, ready to quit? Because you have people who oppose you. Why did they oppose him? They probably didn't like Nehemiah because they were jealous. They were jealous that he had access to the king and that the king granted him this. They were jealous probably of that relationship. They probably didn't like Israel because what would that mean? It would mean a shift in power. Those things are still playing out in this modern age today in the Middle East, right? What if Israel is rebuilt? What risk is that to the Persian empire, to their, to their empires, to the kingdoms that they, that they lead? Sanballat was the governor of, uh, of Syria. He had in something invested in who he was. That is true of us. If you have a position, if you have things that are nice, you tend to be tilted toward what? Being conservative, right? And anything new, any, any sort of thing that's being rebuilt or redone or started up could be a threat to what you now know. So you're jealous. You want to oppose that. Are you ready to quit, Nehemiah? Look what he does in it's verse two, uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He went to Jerusalem for a few days. So I went to Jerusalem. I was there three days. Then I arose in the night. I love that, by the way, Hebrew writing in that day. Then I arose. You'll see that phrase a lot in Nehemiah. Then I arose. There's something so purposeful about that. I arose in the night. There's a reason for that. He's going to go on a clandestine inspection. I and a few men with me, and I told no one what, what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Can't a vision be like that? Anybody, I'm thinking in a room this size, anybody ever been there? God's put something in your heart, but you just, I mean, you don't tweet about it. You don't, uh, where's Nick Crawford at? Where, you don't Snapchat it, all right? These guys went out of town for a few days. They Snapchatted me. It's online for, what, 24 hours or something, you don't go public with it just yet, right? Some people do. But you don't go, but you, you talk to God about it. Because, you know, if you're the cupbearer, you just want to make sure it wasn't the wine you tasted for the king, right? You want to make sure that it's really a God thing. And so you only, only a few people know. And look at that. It's grown from one with God's, um, God's leading and the king's favor to, what, a few men, he goes on a clandestine inspection. You know why? Because Nehemiah realizes he's going at night. He's going quiet. He's surveying. And that's what a good leader does. They get information, don't they? 
If, you, if God's called you to something, either you're that person or you've got somebody around you that can get the needed information so you can tackle the project. Information, knowledge, the prophet Hosea says, is power. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians when he's talking about love, knowledge can puff up. Be careful if you know too much and you know it in an ugly way. Some people know a lot and they hurt, they hurt people a lot, right? They have a lot of information. Nehemiah said, I need to... I need to carefully assess. This clandestine inspection is going to give me the information I need so that we can rebuild this wall. And in verse 17 and 18, he gets uh, what we call in sports world some old mo. He gets some momentum. Look at this beautiful momentum that he gets. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Let me stop. If you're going to cast vision, if you're going to lead a group of people, really want to talk to our young people here. It needs to be more than just your vision. At some point, it's got to, it's got to involve others. It's got to help others. Is it about you or is it about other people? And what a strength to vision casting. If you can get a group of people to say, hey, this is bigger than us and here's who needs to be helped. In this case, Jerusalem's in ruin. The walls are down. The gates are burned. People are being hurt. They're losing dignity. Violence reigns. Here's the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us, here it is, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Circle that phrase, they strengthened their hands because you'll see in a minute their hands are gonna get pretty weak and feeble. Momentum. Don't you like some momentum? It can change everything. I, I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in some of you where it, you, you think it's time to quit. But something good happens. Some people step up and they help and they say, I see that and I see that need and I want to help you be a part of that. Let's journey. Let's journey together here. Nehemiah has momentum. What does he have after the momentum? Look at the next verse. Verse 19, but when Sanballat, there, there's Sanballat again, I'm telling you, he's a nemesis. The Horonite and Tobiah, maybe he's in bad mood because he was a Horonite. And Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, here's somebody else, Geshem the Arab heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And here you see mockery after momentum, mockery and derision. And guess what? The resistance is growing. The opposition is mounting. Nehemiah, you ready to quit? Nehemiah says in chapter 2 and verse 20, you'll see, hey, God is with me. God, this is his thing, and he's going to strengthen me. Isn't that great? Doesn't that make you want whatever pursuit you have in the future to align yourself as close as you can to the heart of God? Paul tells the church, stay away from vainglory, from selfish ambition and vain conceit. Don't do things for your personal consumption. Align yourself with the heart of God. If God's calling you something, he's calling you to help others. The vision that he's going to give you, is, it's to help others. What is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And Nehemiah says, hey, God is going to do a work in my life. Now later, you're going to have to be, you got to strap, it, strap on the seatbelt and be super patient and ready if you were to read Nehemiah 3 all by yourself. I encourage you to do that. There's just a lot of names and a lot of people are being brought to the table. But isn't that what a leader does? 
Who among us has all the gifts? What movement can start with just one man or just a few? Other people, many more people, have to be involved in great undertakings. And you see in chapter 3, he's enlisting the people. But look, Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 5, important for us, a lesson for us about our human condition. Nehemiah 3, 5, and, ne and next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles, here's the phrase, their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. We don't use that word a lot, nobles, but that means the people who have influence and prestige, power, riches. Back then, there were people like that who were rich and snobbery. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that rich people saying, this work is beneath me, not me. No, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's for people who are below me. And the leader who leads people on a great undertaking of God is going to say, you know, we're all the same. And everybody matters. And I want to enlist everybody. Everybody is important. Nehemiah, subsequent to this, you'll see in, in chapter 3, he begins to get people of all categories, all professions, all walks of life. He enlists them, and they're all signing up. Uh, there's a saying, if you, if you buy in, you'll pitch in. And Nehemiah, as he led, as they saw his broken heart, as they saw him lead boldly, I believe, by the way, leadership principle dropping at you free of price, I believe that we know what you believe in by what you ask for. Do you ask boldly? Do you believe in a big God? People from all walks of life, and it's interesting, in Jerusalem, they hadn't seen this kind of morale, this kind of unity, this kind of type of team spirit in over 100 years since the exile. And here they are, unity, a real spirit of unity. How powerful is it if we work together? How powerful is it if people from all walks of life, can I just say that that's the vision that Jesus has for his church? people from all walks of life and that we would learn to serve one another and that we would send a message by the deeds that we do that everybody matters, everybody's important. Nehemiah, are you ready to quit? Not just yet because people are getting involved. In Nehemiah chapter four, it gets really good and I wanna show you just some things that came up on him. If you're discouraged today, if you're ready to quit, look at what happens as this man takes on this great undertaking. The first thing that came his way was anger and opposition. I'm going to give you five things that you'll see in chapter 4 and other places, but uh, succinctly in chapter 4. He had anger. He, against him, he had anger and op opposition. In chapter 4 and verse 1, look what it says there. Now, when Sanballat, there he is again. He heard that we were building the wall. He's not going away, is he? He was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. He was angry. Look at verse 7 of chapter 4. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, it's growing, they heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry. Verse 1, he was angry. Verse 7, they were angry. A whole lot more people were angry. Anger and opposition comes his way. The second thing is mockery and sarcasm. Mockery and sarcasm. Verse 2 and verse 3. 
And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Ever been questioned? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Mockery and sarcasm. Can I ask you, what voices do you listen to? A really important question that you can ask yourself in your life. Do I listen to the loudest voices or do I listen to the wisest voices? And here, Nehemiah, starting to be in the middle of this undertaking, he's greeted with this. It's tough, isn't it, to be ridiculed? Teenagers, it's tough to be the one that's pushed to the margins. It's tough to be the one that has the vision and the convictions and the ideas that are birthed spiritually in your walk with God, but you're the one being mocked. You're the one who's bearing the brunt of sarcasm. And Nehemiah gets it in doses, ready to quit, Nehemiah. A third thing that comes his way beyond just anger and opposition and mockery and sarcasm are threats and intimidations. Verse 11 of chapter four. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. The threat, we see it in terrorism in our day, just the psychological threat that something could happen at any moment in a sneaky and stealth way. And there were death threats, threats and intimidation. A fourth thing beyond anger and opposition, mockery and sarcasm, threats and intimidation, discouragement and exhaustion. Look at verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. I was thinking this morning, that translation, it was a midway point. And that translation in the Hebrew comes out this way in the English. We cannot build this wall. We cannot build this wall at all. We cannot build it with bricks. We cannot build it with sticks. If we keep trying, we will die. So go away, Nehemiah. Uh, I couldn't make that last syllable work exactly. There's, there's that point, the midway point, which is the hardest point. Think about a new undertaking. Think about a fresh start. Think about the fresh faces that are eager to get something started and get something going. That's a good thing, whether it's a church or marriage or some business or some idea. Again, appealing to artists and entrepreneurs and the innovators among us, to the leaders that God is doing something and birthing something in, something that needs to be rebuilt, beauty that needs to be brought to the world in which we live because there are a lot of broken walls around us. And here is, here is this point where it's not new anymore. People are tired. The hands that were strengthened now are growing weak and there's great discouragement and they're not close enough. They're not close enough to the finish line because you, you guys know that when you're really close to that finish line, if you've run or biked or done things competitively or you've had a project that you've worked on, you get close to that finish line, right? And it just, man, you've got it because you're, you're so close. 
You're not going to quit then. Last week I shared the story about Nehemiah being a visionary and he, he did his part. He, he, he had vision and he acted on that vision. And I shared the quote, the leadership quote, that it's not just enough to stare up the steps. You've got to step up the stairs. And I shared an example of when I tried to run up a down escalator in Atlanta and didn't make it to be greeted by mockery and sarcasm. And last night when Jeff Hightower and Nick Crawford and Daniel Wagner and Molly Sanders and I were uh, leaving uh, the airport in Austin, we were in Dallas at that point and we were connecting and I see this big escalator and there was one that goes up, which the direction we were heading and there was one that was coming down. I thought, I'm gonna do this. And there were two bags on me and a jacket and some heavy shoes and I just started running up the down escalator. I wanted to do this. And my friends started chanting, go. They had heard last week's sermon illustration. But Molly didn't. Molly begins, you're, not, you're never going to make it. Molly said, you're not going to make it, RG. You're not going to make it. I heard that voice, and Jeff ran past me on the other upside of the down elevator, beating me by a few seconds. And I, I mean, I got to the top. I was getting close to the top, and I threw my bags off. I was breathing harder than I've ever breathed. I just stabbed. I think that's on Snapchat somewhere. And has that been removed yet? Going up, when you see that you're so close, so very close, you want to do all that it takes to make it. Despite anger and opposition, mockery and sarcasm, threats and intimidation, you're so close. When you start, oh, it's so fresh. But when you're at the midway point and when hands, when many, many hands, when people are looking to you to lead and those hands are growing weak, exhaustion and discouragement, can get people. It can be the undoing. The last thing, number five, is fear. Fear. In verse, chapter four and verse 14, there's a prayer, and there's a really good part of this, but the first part, and I looked and arose, there's it again, and I arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, you see it's growing, there's a lot of people involved, everybody is, do not be afraid of them, do not be afraid of them. Nehemiah, are you ready to quit? Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So we see five things, anger and opposition, mockery and sarcasm, threats and intimidation, discouragement and exhaustion and fear. But what, Nehemiah, what do you do? What do you use to push through? I'll give you very quickly uh, four things. The first is, he looked, he looked and he spoke. And we see in this story, we see the voices of prayer. We see him saying, you just read it. Their voices were in prayer. Lord, you've got to do a work. This is too big for us. And by the way, if you have a task that suits you and fits you, it's probably not a God-sized task. They lifted their voices. God, we need you. Not only did they lift their voices, but they had their eyes on reality, meaning they saw an enemy. They knew that there was an enemy. Chapter four and verse nine, if we can put that verse up, it says this. It says, and we prayed to our God, that's the voices in prayer, and set a guard as protection against, the, against them day and night. Do you realize there is a part that God and only God can do? But there's a part that he's looking to you to do. There's God's part and there's your part 
They had voices in prayer. They had eyes on reality. God, we're praying to you, but we're also setting a guard. Not that we don't trust you. It's just that we as leaders are taking responsibility. When he began the clandestine inspection, when he saw what was happening, when the opposition began to grow, he said, we got to pray to God, but we also need to be on guard. A leader takes responsibility, but a leader knows that it depends on God. A third thing that they bring to the table under Nehemiah's leadership is they put their hearts in their work. Now, I uh, preach often and study from the ESV. I think it says mind in uh, chapter 4 and verse 6. But most translations yield at heart in their work. Let's look at, the, look at Nehemiah 4, 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people, what? Had a mind to work. Again, most translations says they put their heart, all of their heart, into the work. That honors God. Wholeheartedness honors God. When people see that they have a part to play. Now, you'll read the rest of chapter 4, and you'll see that Nehemiah said, half of you over here working on the wall, half of you over here standing guard. There's a lot of different roles that people have to play in this scenario. And that's a God thing. That honors him. Some of us say, I don't have enough to serve. I don't have enough to give. I don't have a gifting like other people have a gifting. But it takes all of us. And what was beautiful is, is this transcended just from a man named Nehemiah, just from a few of his friends to a whole lot of people who not were just there. They put their whole heart into this work. Wholehearted people. I'm skipping over a little bit for the sake of time, but chapter 5 and verse 13 is an interesting passage. I want to put this up. If any of you read Nehemiah later, I'll help you understand this. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so, God, so, may, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So he may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said amen and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. What are they talking about there? Financial resources. People were giving. Could you imagine a church where people not just gave, but they said amen, they were glad about it? They didn't clutch tightly thinking they owned it, but they said, God, this is yours, and we've made a promise to live according to your ways, and we're going to keep that promise. And Nehemiah said, man, this thing is moving forward because people put their whole work into it. We're calling out to God. We're looking at the enemy. We're standing guard, but God is providing. How does God provide? Through his people. Imagine a church that is that way. I'm going to close with this. Chapter 6. going to move ahead a little bit. In chapter 6, we see Sanballat, the governor guy, who's the critic and the detractor. And he says this in chapter 6 and verse 1. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had, had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Now, that word breach, think of Katrina. Think of New Orleans just a few days after that hurricane hit. Remember the breach in the wall? Remember the concern? Remember the potential damage? Nehemiah is saying, we've got this thing just about built, but we've got some concerns. We're not through yet. Look at verse 2. Sanballat asked him to go to lunch. And can I just say, you don't need to go to lunch with everybody that asked you to lunch. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at that place. In the plain of Ono, I did a lot of word study on this. Ono is Ono. But they intended to do me harm. These guys are saying, hey, Nehemiah, let's catch up. But a shrewd leader 
doesn't listen to the loudest voices. He listens to the wisest voices, and he begins to see. Now, there's an interesting passage in Matthew chapter 7. It's maybe the most popular passage today in the world. Jesus taught, don't judge lest you be judged. Isn't that a great verse? Like, let God, remove judgment from this place. Let everybody feel welcome, and let us not worry about inspecting other people's sins. Let us deal with our own. Amen? But Jesus, don't just... Don't take that hook, line, and sinker. Jesus went on to say in the same chapter of Matthew 7, you better watch out for wolves. There are wolves among you, and they're dressed like sheep, and they're there to sabotage. So Jesus, you're telling me not to judge, but yet I kind of have to judge at times, don't I? A leader's got to know who's for them and who's against them. A leader's got to know who's going to pull you away. And they say to him, come down off that wall. Let's go to, this is, this is aptly named. I love the Hebrew, how it translates to English. Come to us, come with us in the plane of what? Oh no. Oh no. Now can I tell you, if Nehemiah had come down off that wall, he would have been killed. He was almost killed to begin with. When he, when he said, hey king, here's what I'm thinking. He could have been terminated from his job and terminated from life. That's a bad policy decision you made back there. That needs to be reversed. That was the first time he could have been killed. And there were many other times along the way. Are you ready to quit, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah says, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm not coming down off this wall. Look at verse 3 of chapter 6. And I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And he said it like that, and come down to you? The nemesis, the one who's tried every method and used all kind of men to come against the work that God has placed in my heart and you want me to have lunch with you. What a great phrase for a leader. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. You gotta be focused. What God is calling you to do, you and I, we need to be focused. There are distractions and those distractions, some of them, let me be honest, they can destroy you. I'm not coming down off this wall. I've been called to do a great work. Hey, Nehemiah, are you ready to quit? Chapter 6 and verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in the 52 days. You've learned about the month of Kislev, the month of Nisan. Here's the month of Elu. And the wall is done. Are you ready to quit, Nehemiah? Yep. When do you quit a great work of God? When it's finished. You don't quit when, it's, when it hurts. You don't quit when there's pain. You don't quit when it's scary. You don't quit when it's uncomfortable. You quit when it's finished. You ready to quit, Nehemiah? Yes. Because the work, it's finished. As we close, I, I want to ask you, I think today, I stand in front of you, and I think about your wall. What is your wall? Maybe your wall could be something like this, real personal here. Maybe it's a, a habit that you need to break. Maybe, uh, I don't know if there's a slide there. Maybe it's a habit that you need to break. Maybe it's a relationship that needs to be restored. Maybe it's a relationship that needs to be ended. Maybe it's a debt that needs to be retired. Maybe it's something, a new undertaking that you need to get started with. Maybe, maybe you need to stop drinking. How do you know if you need to stop drinking? 
Maybe somebody has said to you, I think you drink too much. Can I say that's probably a sign that you're drinking too much? Let me repeat that, okay? If someone says to you, I think you're drinking too much, that might be a sign you're drinking too much. This isn't a commentary on alcohol. It's when you're drinking too much. What is your wall? What is that thing personally in your life? Maybe it's none that I mentioned. Maybe it's something else. Maybe today you can identify that. I want to say to you, don't be distracted. Get on the wall and stay on the wall and realize who's for you and you need some of those people in your life and you need to realize who might be against you and you need to be careful. And as a church, what could be our wall? What could be the wall that God is calling us as a church to be involved in? There are plenty of broken walls all around us. We have the opportunity, as we did a year and a half ago, two years ago almost, to lay hold of this building. We have the opportunity in 2016 to lay hold of a building behind us that we hope and pray is more than a gym. We pray that it's a center for our youth and for West Fondren kids and for people to find a place that's a fun place and a safe place, a place to learn about Jesus, a place uh, for a short time to forget about some of their problems and a place for us to invest in the next generation of people. And it's gonna take all kinds of folks. It's gonna take some of us to say, hey, I'm gonna empty myself and I'm gonna give and I'm gonna be glad and I'm gonna say amen. And it's going to take some of us to start a care center, to bring things and to allow a regular part of our worship at Fauna to be where we bring stuff that people need so we can regularly give it away. In Acts 6, it says there was the daily distribution of food and clothing and things to people who needed it. What if we became that church? What if we tackled broken walls in our very own community? What's the wall in your life? When you complete a great work, when it's finished. Jesus came. He came to bring light into the world. To everyone. Wouldn't you think everybody would applaud him? But when he was born, a king wanted to kill him. When his words got hard, a crowd faded away. The religious leaders tried to trap him. Herod tried to capture him. Judas sold him out. Peter let him down. Pilate handed him over. The crowd of people ridiculed him. They even developed a slogan before slogans were popular. They said, this man, he saves others, but he cannot save himself. But he went all the way and he did not come down. He took the weight of your sin and mine and the weight of the world on his shoulders. And in God's providence, when it was over, he said the words, it is finished. I don't know what's got you discouraged, I don't know what you've quit or what you're about to quit or what you're not undertaking for the kingdom. But Jesus is the finisher. And I'm telling you, I'm learning anew that there's a lot of things I just can't finish. And a lot of discouragement and stuff that comes my way, but Jesus is the great finisher. The path out of darkness. It begins with exasperatingly persistent individuals who are incapable, constitutionally incapable of capitulation. Nehemiah had it, fierce resolve. And thank God, and thank God much more so that Jesus had it. Let's pray.
as we pray, I want to ask you this morning, where is it hard and where is it discouraging? What pockets, what areas have the, has the discouragement just been so easy? Jesus, the great finisher. He not only wants to save you, he wants to keep you. He not only, want to, not only wants to keep you, he wants to grow you. He wants to know that you're loved. And the light that he gives, he wants to radiate in you. And the light that radiates in you, he wants it to radiate to others. To say, here's a way, and it's the path out of darkness. It's the path of Jesus. The God who provides. Lord, I pray that we, today, give you that thing. Give you those areas where it hurts. And God, there are leaders in this room. Leaders you've called and are calling to take the, the, the good news way beyond the walls of this building. And God, I would pray that they would be able to say in due time that the good hand of their God is upon them. And no amount of opposition will derail them. For distracted minds, for voices that have not been lifted up in prayer, for eyes that don't see the real danger and the path that they're walking, I pray, God, the God of salvation, to give them, to give us a path out of this darkness. In Jesus, in you, we ask. Amen. Church, would you stand? We're going to sing. We'll invite everyone to sing. We'll want to have an opportunity to pray for some of you, for any of you. Give us that opportunity now. What an honor it would be to come around you now to pray for a need in your life. Something maybe that was stirred up today or something you brought with you. Um, give us that opportunity. Come today. Have the courage to come forth to, to be prayed for. Let's take a few moments as we honor God in this time of prayer and invitation.